So we're gonna dive in. We are in chapter 21, don't worry. We're not gonna do Acts chapter 20 again for the third time. Um, we are gonna move on into Acts chapter 21 tonight and continue in this wonderful story, uh, just tracking with the, 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 the missionary journey and the travels of the Apostle Paul. Um, so that's where we pick up on this evening. Before we do that, uh, let me go ahead and uh, pray, and then we will we will continue to read in Acts chapter twenty one, and uh, and and take a look at some of the takeaways that God might have for us this evening. So, would you join me in a word of prayer, um, Lord? We we thank you because you are good. We thank you that you are faithful. Uh, we thank you for a chance to gather in your house tonight. Um, just this wonderful uh, place that we get to uh, experience a touch from you, a uh, place where we get a chance to. Uh, hear and be encouraged by the stories of others, a place where we get a chance to open your word and um, and invite you to come and stir in us, move in us, and make us more uh, like who you want us uh, to be. Um, so tonight we pray that you would bless not just what happens in here in the sanctuary uh, with our Bible study, but that you would bless our youth, our middle schoolers, and our high schoolers. We pray covering of protection over them this summer, uh, that you continue to minister to them and speak to them. We pray over our younger ones, our elementary school age and kindergarten and pre-K kids and, and ask the Lord that tonight, whether they be in girls ministry or Royal Rangers, um, that you would use the commanders in Royal Rangers and the sponsors and teachers in girls ministries uh, to be a blessing to these young boys and young girls who uh, are in such a, uh, a, a impressionable developmental phase of their lives. Surround them with wise God-fearing people who can help them understand who they are so that they can learn about their identity in you uh, and they could learn biblical truth from, from a young age. Um, so Lord, whether we're here in the Bible study or across the campus tonight, we ask for your blessing on this place. Um, we, we pray that the work that you began last week by planting seed in the lives of so many through Vacation Bible School, the stories that were told and uh, the invitations to accept you. We pray, God, that you would continue to water that seed um, and that there would be fertile soil so that uh, we, we can see uh, the fruit of what you're doing in the lives of, uh, of your people. Um, so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 21. Uh, we're continuing. If you, were, uh, if you were here last week or the week before, then uh, you were probably... Uh, entertained as I was with the story of the young man, Eutychus, unfortunately, who, uh, who made the news and made Acts chapter 20 by being the guy who fell asleep during Paul's message. So don't be Eutychus tonight. Um, if you need a little help to not be Eutychus tonight, Sister Karen has some sugary uh, treats out there in the foyer, as well as some coffee, both caffeinated and decaffeinated. Um, so if you want to avoid being Eutychus and falling asleep during the message, then uh, hook yourself up. Otherwise, um, hang out right here so that we could dive into the Word of God together. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're also going to place the verses here on the screen um, to follow along with what's taking place here in the story of Acts. Um, again, I'm sure Pastor Josh, uh, over the course of his Bible study series in the book of Acts, has made mention of this, but I'll, I'll make mention of it tonight since I didn't last week. Um, and I'll also be here next week as well, and so we'll we'll uh, we'll go through uh, chapter 22. Um, but the book of Acts is really a two uh, the second of a two part series um, that's connected to the Gospel of Luke, um, and we know that because both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts start with the very same 
uh, introductory message uh, addressed to the same audience, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of Theophilus. Um, and so the, the Gospel of Luke, which tracks the story of Jesus's life, and the book of Acts are really uh, two parts of the same series. So you could think of Acts as volume two and the book of Luke as volume one. So the book of Acts is a continuation. Um, in fact, uh, just a really quick side note on uh, some uh, biblical, uh, the way that the Bible comes together, the way that we have it. Um, when the Bible was first given, it wasn't given in this really neat um, kind of uh, um, put together book uh, that has 66 different components in it as you have today. Um, whether that be the hard copy Bible that we have or a Bible. And uh, when the Bible was first given to us, it was a series of, of uh, whether they be letters or gospel accounts that were later brought together to form the Bible that we have. So what we're reading in Acts never really had a title to begin with. So it was never really like, everybody look, this is the book of Acts. Um, in fact, there are different names for the book of Acts historically. So we just landed on the book of Acts, but some, some throughout the course of Christian history have called it the Acts of the Apostles. That's the most common one. That's probably what you'll see in the majority of, um, of, your, of your Bibles. Another uh, name that was given to this book was called the Acts of the Holy Spirit um, because the, the book of Acts continues to trace how the Holy Spirit continued to be at work even after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended to heaven, that, that the work that God was doing through Jesus didn't stop there, but it continued um, in the ministry of the apostles through the work of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, um, and then others have even said the continuing Acts of Jesus, um, because Jesus promised him, when I go, I'm not going to leave you, right? Um, I will continue to be with you. And so uh, what we see is that uh, early on, even all the way back to Acts chapter 3, you see Peter and James going and they begin preaching. And now all of a sudden, Peter and James are doing uh, healing with those who are listening there in ways that were almost identical to how Jesus healed people during his ministry. Um, so it, it affirmed that Jesus's work is still going. And what we would say at Mission Ebenezer Family Church is even though we have a Bible that closes and we read all the way to Revelation, that doesn't mean that Jesus stopped working. Uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit is still at work today. We believe that the same Jesus of the Gospel of Luke, the same Holy Spirit working in the book of Acts, is the same Jesus and Holy Spirit that are working in us in 2022 in Los Angeles, California. Um, the work didn't stop. Amen? Um, the work has has continued. And we believe that wholeheartedly. Um, we believe that in terms of spiritual gifts. Uh, there are some churches that believe that tongues, interpretation of tongues, healing, prophecy, a number of these gifts that we see in scripture, um, particularly in the book of Acts, uh, some churches teach that all of those spiritual gifts were meant for uh, that time, 2,000 years ago, and now we don't need access to those gifts anymore. Um, and we would say as a Pentecostal church, we disagree. Uh, we disagree. We believe that the same God who, were, who was doing the same things in the Old Testament and the New Testament is the same God that's at work today. He can still heal physically. He can still heal emotionally. He can still heal spiritually. Um, that we believe that all of those things are still accessible to believers today. Um, so when we read scripture, we don't read it as an old document 
um, that we reflect on as if it's a historical book, but we read it as, in some ways, a template to allow us to know how we can live as believers. We can tap into the same power, the same uh, stories, the same access um, that we see happening in the scriptures. We have access to that as believers, and that's a blessing. That's awesome. Um, and it's miraculous, right? I, I'm, I'm explaining it the best of my ability here tonight, but in some ways, it, it's not even really uh, explicable. I can't fully explain. It's a, it's a mystery how the Holy Spirit continues to work in those same ways, right? Um, I, I think of my own personal uh, testimony and experience. I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, I was always exposed to scripture. I was always in church. But everybody comes to a point in your life where you have to make a decision is this all that I've been taught and am I just going to keep going in that direction because I don't want to challenge, you know, um, uh, things that may or may not be truth. Am I just going to go through the motions or am I going to walk away from this thing or am I going to take ownership and say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. Right. And I remember having a few significant moments spiritually in my own life where I had to wrestle with that. I think one of the first that was really hard for me was in high school where uh, finally I started to ask bigger questions that I never asked before. Um, questions about the existence of God and how do we approve it? And, you know, you know I'm, I'm taking calculus and, uh, you know, AP, environmental science, and now all of a sudden my brain is starting to think about questions that I had never really thought of before, um, you know, whether it be the old earth or younger theory and, and all these different things. And, and I started to question and doubt, you know, um, whether or not everything I had learned growing up as a kid was true. Um, some parents, and I know that we have some parents here, might have somebody going through that uh, kind of a phase, or maybe you've had somebody um, who has gone through that phase, or maybe soon you will have a child who's going through that phase. And what I would say is doubt is actually a really good thing. And that doesn't make sense initially, um, because oftentimes we get scared by doubt, right? Like, oh, no, 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 you can't question that. Don't start to quit, because once you start to question that, you're going to question everything, and then you don't know what to stand upon. But I believe that true faith only comes through doubt. Um, if we're really going to believe in something, right, the definition of faith is I am holding on to this, whether or not I actually know uh, the, the, with certainty that this is the, the uh, uh, irrefutable. Um, because if it were uh, something that was able to be proven as a fact, then you no longer need faith for it. Does that make sense? Um, I don't need faith to know that I'm holding a cup in my hand. Why? Because there's a cup and it's in my hand. So there you go. It's a fact. It's not a faith, right? But faith is saying, you know what? I'm going to put my trust in God, whether or not I have all the answers. Um, so in a lot of ways, doubt is the precursor to faith. Um, and I believe that our faith becomes stronger when we're able to wrestle with certain things, right? And we're able to say, man, even though I still don't fully understand it, I do believe that our God is good. I do believe that God is faithful. I do believe that God is at work. I do believe that he created all of this. I do believe that he loves us, right? I believe that he sent Jesus. And so I, I know I wrestled with some of those things and all the way back to high school with, with some of those moments and then kind of getting into college and starting to wrestle with, all right, I've got to make some pretty significant decisions about how I'm going to live my life. You know, am I going to go hang out with this crew or am I going to go hang out with this crew? Am I going to do these things or am I going to do those things? And I remember, again, having to come to a point where I needed to wrestle and look at myself in the mirror and say, who am I, right? Um, you know, I remember uh, one particular instance in college where I was hanging out with the wrong crew, doing the wrong things, 
even though I was still going to Bible study and, you know, still trying to live my life as a Christian, but wrestling with sin. And I remember walking home at night in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the snow with no jacket on because the house that I went to, everybody got drunk and passed out and all the jackets and the gloves were locked in a room that was locked and and everybody in there was passed out. And I was like, oh, just chill here. And then you could get up and and walk back in the morning. I was like, I ain't staying here. (laughs) So I get up and I walk out with my T-shirt on in the snow. And I remember it was about a mile from where I was to where I needed to get to. And uh, and as I'm walking back to my dorm, I remember hearing the voice of God say, hey, I raised you and I taught you better than this. This isn't you, right? And I remember making a decision right there, like walking through Philadelphia at two o'clock in the morning and saying, this isn't me. I'm going to do things differently. And then the next day, I kid you not, the next day I was a baseball player and one of the guys on the baseball team sees me on campus and I'm walking by and he goes, hey, Koba, um, you're a Christian, right? I said, yeah, I am. Um, And he was a pastor's kid and I was a pastor's kid. And he says, hey, I wanted to let you know every Monday night, a bunch of us athletes get together. We have a Bible study that's called Athletes in Action. Um, And we meet together every Monday night and we have dinner together and we worship and we take turns sharing a Bible study and we do mission trips together and things like that. I want to invite you to be part of that. And it was a group of about 30 of us that met every Monday night. And it was an answer to prayer because I was kind of lost and wandering. But God put somebody in my path just to help nudge me, even though the night before that, God had already spoken to me telling me there's a different path for you. There's a different plan that I have for you. Um, So it's just one of those beautiful things where. Uh, that we're grateful that God grabs us where we are, right? Um, and allows us to go through those moments where we might have some questions, where we might have some doubts. Um, and it's okay, right? And the best place to be when we're dealing with questions and doubts is close to people who uh, we've seen have stood the test of time, have gone through their own issues, and continue to faithfully follow Jesus, right? Um, in my examples in my life, I always look to my grandparents who, uh, who, who been through so much, um, and yet they always place their faith directly in Jesus, no matter what it is that they went through. Um, so coming back, I'm not sure how we got all the way there, but coming all the way back here, looking at the book of Acts, um, again, it's the number two of a two-part series between Luke and Acts. We're getting toward the tail end of the story of Acts, and we, we find ourselves here. The first part of this chapter is really giving us some kind of detail on where he was stopping on his way back to Jerusalem. Uh, everybody say Jerusalem. So it was Paul's desire to get back to Jerusalem, um, but he was sent from Jerusalem to go and preach the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing if I could test uh, our crew. Maybe If you have a Bible, maybe you could flip back and cheat a little bit because I don't want to put everybody on the spot. Um, but can, can somebody flip back to Acts chapter... One, and I believe it's verse, let's see. Flip back to Acts chapter one, and I would love for somebody to read for us um, chapter one, verse seven and eight. Can somebody read that? Is this, Pastor Manuel, is this microphone turned on over here? All right, can I have a reader come on up here and read Acts chapter one, verses seven and eight? So this is going all the way back to the beginning of Acts to give us context for why Paul is doing what he's doing. Amen. 
And the word of God says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, verse 7, And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Amen. All right. Thank you, Stephanie. Um, so here we see Jesus telling his disciples, be my witnesses everywhere, right? Take this message everywhere. Um, don't just stop in Jerusalem, but go to all of Judea. Don't just stop in Judea. Go to Samaria. Samaria was like the next door neighboring country. And then don't just stop in Samaria, but go to the ends of the earth. So Paul in the book of Acts is really kind of fulfilling this command that Jesus gave to go and, and share the good news of what God has done as far and wide as possible. So Paul has gone out, right? And he's made his rounds throughout the Mediterranean Sea. He's gone out to Greece and, and he's made his way all around Asia Minor, Macedonia. And now he's making his way back to Jerusalem. So here's this interesting, again, at the beginning of our Bible study tonight, I talked about how there are moments in our lives where we have something to give, and there are moments in our lives when we really need something, right? And sometimes those are happening at the same time. Um, so Paul was preaching, telling people the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere he was going. While he was doing that, he was also raising an offering, uh, a monetary gift that he wanted to bring back because the people in Jerusalem had been going through a very difficult time. Uh, people were hungry. There was famine. And, and, and so Paul wanted to take the good news far and wide, and then he wanted to come back and be a physical blessing to Jerusalem. So again, it's one of those reminders in the body of Christ that we are called not just to be those who are aimed to meet spiritual needs and forget about the physical or just meet physical needs and forget about the spiritual, but we, are, we, we recognize that God cares about both, right? Um, and so Paul is taking this spiritual blessing to the utmost parts of the earth, and then he's also gathering a, an offering that he's going to bring back to be a blessing to the people in Jerusalem. So he's come, trying to make his way back to Jerusalem, and chapter 21 is showing us some of his stops along the way. So can I have a volunteer reader, um, maybe somebody other than Stephanie, just because you had a chance to read. Right. I know you're sitting in the front row, and if I don't specify that, you're going to jump up here every time. Uh, can I have somebody come up and read verses 1 through 6, please, of chapter 21? Would be awesome. All right, Sister Carla, come on up. Everybody give it up for Carla. Acts 21, verses 1 through 6. When we had torn ourselves away from them and set, and we ran straight course and came to Kos, and on the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And after finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, Phoenicia, uh -huh. we went on board and set sail. As we came in the side of Cyprus, leaving it on our left, port side, we sailed on to Syria and put in at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. After looking up the disciples in Tyre, we stayed there with them seven days, and they kept telling Paul, through the Holy Spirit, not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there came to an end, 
we left and proceeded in our journey, while all the disciples with their wives and children escorted us on our way until we were outside the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we told one another goodbye. Then we boarded the ship and they returned to their homes. Thank you, Sister Carla. So we see that the first part of chapter 21 is really kind of putting some dots on the map in terms of places where Paul and his companions stopped on their way back to Jerusalem. One of the things that I notice here that's a continuation from last week is that every place where they went, they were looking for other believers um, and they would stay with them. Right. And so there's this hospitality um, and then this encouragement that would take place. Um, I guarantee you every time he stopped at a home and they welcomed him and, and the companions in, there was a lot of stories that were being shared. I could just picture them outside with a little fire pit telling the stories about all that they had seen God do in the city where they had just come from, right? And, and so there's encouragement uh, through story. There's encouragement through talking about what God has done. Um, don't lose sight of the fact that when you... Uh, are able to either listen to or share about all the wonderful things that God has done, it's a blessing to those around you, right? It kind of ignites a fire. I know for me, um, as, as a pastor, uh, every time I get a chance to be part of baptisms like we just did on Saturday, and we get a chance to hear responses to that simple question, why are you choosing to be baptized, right? It's a simple question, but every single time, for years, decades, I started as a pastor here 16 years ago or something like that. Um, every single time I hear somebody talk about why they're being baptized, I get like tears in my eyes. I get goosebumps. My heart starts beating fast. And I get excited because I'm reminded about the fact that the same God who transformed my life and the life of so many others is still transforming lives today. Right. And so it doesn't seem like much, but even just a simple question and creating the space to listen can be a blessing when we uh, when we create space. That's one thing that I believe in our world that we live in today. We wrestle with and struggle with is because we are often so busy that we don't create time for sharing stories. All right. We're so busy. We're running from one place to the next. Our calendars are full. Right. That we don't create space to be able to just have a conversation. How you doing? Right. But not like the kind where you're already walking past the person. Hey, how you doing? I mean, the only thing you can say is like a one word answer once they're already 10 feet past you, right? Good, bad, but <laughs> doesn't seem like you care that much because you're already gone, right? Um, but we got to create space for conversation. We got to create space for, for story. Um, I know that's one of the things that is important to me um, especially as I, I think of like the wisdom of elders, you know, um, uh, I remember when we had, uh, pastor, uh, Papa Frank Cisneros, who was uh, here at Mission Ebenezer Family Church. If you knew Papa Frank and he always sat like right back there in this section, um, especially on Wednesday nights, he was here every Wednesday night, right? He was like the first one here. Um, but Papa Frank always had a story. You know, you always had some, did I ever tell you the story, mijo? Like, I don't think you did, Papa Frank. Go ahead, tell me, you know. And the worship team's over here waiting for me because I got to get started. I'm like, we'll start five minutes late. We're not always going to have Papa Frank around. Papa Frank, tell me the story, right? Um, stories are important. Um, creating space for conversation is important. Um, and that's the interesting thing about it is 
you know, when we live in a day and age where everything moves so quickly, where there's always more things to do than what we have time for, um, that's one of those things where we have to uh, come to uh, terms with ourselves and recognize that it's a priority. Um, and that goes both ways. It goes, it goes the direction of actually seeking out those that we need to, see, to seek advice from and listen to their stories, right? But it also goes for the younger generation um, where we need to sit down and create space for them. I know I have to constantly challenge myself, right? I come home from driving to work for an hour, work, drive home for an hour, right? I got to take the trash cans out or bring them in or finish mowing the lawn or, you know, washing the dishes. And all, there's always more things to do than what we have time for, isn't there? And then every once in a while, I have to like check myself and say, hey, when's the last time I looked at my, my daughter in her eyes and in more than just 30 seconds had a good conversation with her? How are you doing? What you been up to? What are you thinking about these days, right? Um, what are you looking forward to this week? Um, it's so easy to, to kind of just get caught up in the cycle of the pace that our society has given us that we move so quickly, right, that we lose sight of what's most important. We lose sight of those priorities. I think the pandemic was a blessing in that regard because it forced us to slow down in ways that we otherwise wouldn't have on our own, right? We want to add on more things and, and take on another this or that or whatever. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, man, that face-to-face -face time, that intentional uh, asking good questions and having the time to listen and get to know you know each other a little bit better, that's important stuff. Um, so can we uh, maybe take this initial passage as a, a, an invitation and a reminder for us to have some intentional conversations? Is that all right? Um, so I want to encourage you, maybe there's somebody that's been on your heart for a while and you're like, you know what, I need to actually have that coffee or that lunch or just a phone conversation or whatever it may be. Um, let's be, let's be countercultural in that regard and not buy into the busyness and the pace of this society and miss out on the blessings of what could come through that intentional time, right? Paul stayed with them for seven days. Did you see that? He stayed with the believers uh, in Tyre for seven days. I, I, he really wanted to get to Jerusalem, but he stayed with them for seven days. Um, he took time, right? He took time to be with them. I'm sure that was encouraging to him, and it was also encouraging to them, right? Um, let's also look at this passage and, also, and not do what Paul did, and don't just be dropping in on people and staying at their house for seven days, okay? All right, this is a different age. This ain't, this ain't, this ain't uh, uh, 2,000 years ago, Mediterranean Sea culture, right? Just stop in. Hey, what's you up to? Oh, nothing, man. I'm just going to crash at your place. You got a guest room, right? I'll be here for about seven days. What you got in the fridge, <laughs> right? Um, so, but, but, but what was nice about it is the fellowship, the community, the conversation, right? Um, again, I think I mentioned this last week, but our Canales family, all 18 of us, 10, you know, of our kids, and then me and my brothers and our wives and my mom and dad, we all went and got away together for about six days. It was so health, healthy and helpful um, because typically, even when we do have vacations and we're visiting each other, there's still so much going on. There's still all kinds of busyness. But having that undivided time, it was like awesome, you know, um, just to not be in a rush for once. 
Um, so, so let's challenge ourselves uh, in that way. Okay, so, so Paul's making his way back. They're going through. Uh, thank you, Carla, for reading all those really hard uh, names of cities and uh, doing that for me so I didn't have to embarrass myself trying to pronounce those words. Um, verse 7 says, We continued on our voyage from Tyre and landed at uh, Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, he reached Caesarea and stayed at the help house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So again, they keep going from town to town and they find believers. They stay with them. Again, there's a lot of encouragement that comes with that. Uh, there's hospitality that comes with that. There's story sharing that comes with that. So I want to just zoom in really quickly on this story, because if you remember, Philip shows up in Acts chapter eight. Philip shows up in Acts chapter eight earlier in this story. Um, and Philip has the nickname, the evangelist. I th- I've always think that's pretty cool um, to be given the name, the evangelist. Again, just to break it down, the evangelist means somebody who talks the good news, right? Somebody who shares the good news. So Philip's nickname was the one who shares the good news. Um, would have been cool to meet Philip, I think. He probably was a pretty positive guy uh, who was constantly ready and willing to share who God is and what God had done um, and wanting to share that with as many people as possible. One of the things I love about Philip from Acts chapter 8, the story where we find him earlier in this book, is uh, Philip had been at the center of a massive revival in Samaria. Uh, there were multitudes of people who were listening to the word being preached, and they were responding, and they were turning their life to Jesus in Samaria. Again, if you're familiar with Samaria and the Samaritans, t- t- typically they were uh, a culture that was despised by the Jews because they were so close to each other in proximity, geographically, as well as close to each other ethnically. Uh, because Samaritans were those who uh, part of their ethnic heritage was was uh, Jewish, um, but they were also mixed um, with other cultures. And if you know anything about Judaism, there was not a big um, uh, mixing was not um, OK, it was not encouraged, was not condoned. In fact, uh, if you if you were mixed, uh, then you were considered uh, an outsider at that point. Purity was really highly valued. And so Samaritans were despised. They were looked at as half-breeds. Um, and that's why the story of the Good Samaritan, also in the Gospel of Luke. So you see the connection there between Luke's Gospel and a lot of his stories that talk about Samaritans, like the Good Samaritan. Um, and then the book of Acts, which is Paul taking the Gospel message to the Gentiles. And so, um, so earlier, Philip, in Acts chapter 8, was preaching in Samaria, massive revival, so many people that were turning their lives to Jesus uh, during that ministry. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit drives Philip away from Samaria. I think this is really important for us as believers to to grasp the significance of the heart um, and the the faithfulness and obedience of Philip, uh, because we often tend to think, like when you see something good and big happening, like what was happening in Samaria, like who would want to leave that? Right. You in, in other most of the time we want to flock toward things like that. We want to stay there. We want to be there as long as possible because it's exciting and there's momentum. And there was a revival happening and Philip was right at the middle of it. He was the main preacher of that revival. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit yanks him out of Samaria and sends him down to uh, uh, what's called the Gaza Road or a road in the desert going to the middle of nowhere in between Israel and Egypt. It's a desert. And, and the Holy Spirit takes him from 
all the wonderful things God was doing in Samaria and puts him on a desert road by himself. All right, and I I bring up this story because this always ministers to me uh, because, um, you know, I think oftentimes in our culture, there's this kind of, um, we're enamored by God doing something um, big. We're enamored by like excitement, right? We we see something where there's all this uh, energy and momentum and like we're drawn toward that, right? When in reality, faithfulness to God means going wherever and to whomever God calls us, whether or not it's exciting and, and it's extravagant and there's a lot of momentum. Faithfulness means saying yes to God, whether it's on the desert road or in the middle of a revival. And we want to be that kind of church. We don't want to be like, you know, I don't want to call any, throw shade on any churches or movements, but, you know, there are some places where it's just like, man, as long as there's the right lights and the right sound in worship and the church looks a certain way, right? And all these things are, as long as all those things are lined up, yeah, I want to be part of that ministry. When in reality, God might be calling us like he did Philip to say, okay, great. I'm doing something big there. I need you somewhere else. Right? Whether it's in the desert ministering to one person because God brought one person for Philip to preach to in the desert. But whether we're preaching to one or thousands, God is still at work. And he wants us to be the kind of people that say, yes, sir, I'll go where you want me to go, whether it looks exciting and extravagant or whether it looks boring. Even if it's boring, I'm there. I just want to do your work, God. I want to be right where you want me to be. Maybe it's exactly in the desert where you need me and not in the, in the, in, in the center where there's all kinds of stuff already going on right? Um, I remember God put that on my heart when I first uh, graduated from college and, and came into ministry here at the church. Um, and man, I was like, I was really excited and I wanted to be part of the youth ministry, you know? And, and I, cause I, I was, I was part of the youth ministry as a kid. I went to college. I came back. I was like, yeah, it'll be great. I'll jump in there. And I went and man, it was like booming in there. Pastor Josh and Pastor Kevin. And, and there was like 15 volunteer leaders in there. And, uh, and there was like 100, 150 kids that were in there. And I was like, this is awesome. This is exciting. And there was something in my spirit that, that I just felt God saying, I don't need you here. And I was like, what? This is awesome. Don't you see how cool this is? Like, you know, I could really be useful in this setting. And God was like, I don't need you here. I'm like, what do you mean? And then all of a sudden, somebody came up here and made an announcement from, the, I think it was Brother... Uh, um, Brother Tony Gasso, who was leading our Royal Rangers ministry at the time. And he says, we don't have any commanders for the eight to 10 year old boys. And I just remember being in church, hearing from the Holy Spirit, I don't need you in the youth ministry. And then all of a sudden I knew what my assignment was. My assignment was to go lead the eight to 10 year old boys because they didn't have anybody. I was a 22 year old college graduate. I had a lot to give the eight to 10 year old boys. It didn't look as cool or exciting as the youth ministry, but that's where God needed me. And we had a blast together for about three years, right? Um, and, and so all that to say is I love Philip's example because whether it was preaching to the multitudes in Samaria in the middle of a revival or out in the desert, we go where God calls us, right? Um, and we're not the type of people who are just looking for the flash in the pan, the exciting thing for the moment. Um, we're not looking for excitement. We're looking for faithfulness. Does that, that make sense? And I think that's a word for today because too often, I think in ministries today, we're just looking for exciting stuff. 
When in reality, a walk with the Lord sometimes is exciting and sometimes is hard and sometimes is boring and sometimes is tough and, and sometimes we get, we get, you know, tired of it. But guess what? We plug in and we go anyway. Right? Um, okay. So let's, let's come back in here. So, so, um, Paul's making all these stops and then he stops at Philip's house. I bet you out of all the stops, that was probably one of the stops where Paul's cup was filled, right? Being in Philip's house, um, because that's minister to minister right there. That's like man of God to man of God, you know? Um, and they were able to just encourage each other. Iron sharpens iron, right? So, so one sharpens another. Um, and so I'm, I guarantee you that was a, I, I would have loved to have been at that dinner at that house, hanging out with Philip and Paul as they talk around the table. Um, and it also mentions here that he had four daughters who prophesy. And I want to point that out because I think it's important at Mission Ebenezer Family Church to recognize that we are a church that recognizes God's giftedness on all of our men and God's giftedness on all of our women. Um, there are, again, some churches that believe that women should not be pastors, that women should not teach the Bible, um, that if they are going to teach the Bible, they should only teach other women, that women should never teach men. And, and I, I think they take it because there's one verse in the scriptures that says that specifically, and so they take it out of context, but they don't look at all the other passages that highlight women leaders in the scriptures. We have Esther, we have Deborah, we have Lydia, we have... Philip's four daughters. Women have always been crucial to ministry from the beginning of the uh, of the the move of God here in the Word of God. There's never been a moment where there haven't been women leaders in Scripture, and so we want to be the kind of church that recognizes that we're all called to serve God and use our gifts in different ways. Does that make sense? Um, I, I love having two boys and a girl, and I love looking at my daughter who's right in between them, um, and she is feisty. All right. And if you know my Ruthie, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and what I love about it is, man, God has given her some gifts that I want to cultivate as her dad, you know, because some of her gifts that she has right now, the world or others might call it bossy. Right. And, and what I'll say is, well, that means one day she's going to be a boss. <laughs> like Mama Mo, right, who, who retired down at the docks, who, who served as a boss, right? Um, but, uh, you know, God gives us all gifts in different ways, and we celebrate those gifts. Um, so here we see that Philip had four daughters who prophesied, um, uh, meaning this was a ministry home. And I love that. I, I want to be um, the kind of home one day where uh, I don't really care, you know, whether somebody says, oh, man, you know, Pastor Koba, and he did this and that, and he was gifted in that way or this way. You know what would make me happy as a father one day, years from now, is if I hear people saying, oh, man, whenever people hang out with that Micaiah kid, for whatever reason, he's always doing this or encouraging them. Or when they're around Joseph or when they're around Ruthie, to me, it will be a blessing if, like Philip, somehow, some way, my family is a blessing to this world right? Not just individually. Um, and, and so that's a dream and a desire to be kind of like Philip um, so that my family would also be uh, those who serve, right? And those who are a blessing. Okay, so let's continue moving our way down. Um, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, and I want to really focus on this part because this is like, this is one of those scripture verses that uh, teaches us about grit, Christian grit and resilience, um, in the face of challenge. So um, uh, verse 10, uh, we, we've been there a number of days. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. He tied his own hands and feet with it. The Holy Spirit says, 
In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. All right, so Agabus, the prophet, comes and he gives Paul a warning. Um, and he gives him a kind of a, a visual, right? And he ties himself up with Paul's belt and he says, uh, the owner of this belt is going to be tied up in the same exact way. And that's kind of like scary, right? Um, I don't know if you've ever gotten like a, a scary message before um, where somebody told you something all of a sudden you're like, oh man, for real? Oh, okay, I better watch out, right? Um, uh, Paul got this message that was a little scary um, telling him that when you get to Jerusalem, it's not going to be good. Um, there's, there's hardship waiting for you there. Um, we're going to unpack a little bit about that in a moment, but uh, Agabus gives him this word and he, and he, and he tells him, um, but verse 12, I want to, I want to take a look at how Paul responds to this prophecy that Agabus brings. Um, verse 12 says, when he heard this, uh, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. And after this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Mason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So Paul's response to this prophecy and this challenge where they said, please don't go. Um, they're waiting for you. Some are going to harm you. Um, they have started to spread rumors. Don't do it, Paul. And Paul looks at them and says, I'm not worried about what happens to me because I just need to fulfill what God has placed on my life. I'm not worried about my own safety. I have to do what God has asked me to do, right? He was convinced in his mind and in his heart that he was going to pursue the will of God regardless of what threat and harm was facing him out there. And that's boldness. That's courage. And, and many of us here, in this setting where we live, don't often have to face physical persecution um, for our faith. We, we, don't, we don't have to be worried about being tied up with a belt and persecuted because we believe in Jesus or we talk about Jesus or, or we read our Bible. But there is uh, other kinds of persecution in our current day and age that we live in. People talk trash, right? They call, they call us all these names that they want to call you, you know. Uh, you, you probably have heard them before. Holy roller, Bible thumper, uh, holier than thou, um, Jesus freak, um, you know, uh, one of those, you know, whatever, fill in the blank type of thing. There's names and there's all kinds of persecution that happens, even though it might not necessarily be physical right here where we live in. Um, and, and there's, there's an opportunity and invitation for us to think about that kind of persecution. And, and, and oftentimes we, we can make a decision when we're faced with those kinds of, uh, challenges. One is to be silent and blend in wherever we are so that we don't have to deal with the verbal, uh, persecution that folks might give to, to people who are Christian. We could, we could just be quiet about it. We could just kind of go about our business, not say anything, right? Or we could say, Lord, give me courage to know that I'm not going to allow other people's opinions to change the way I'm going to live for you. 
Uh, I'm, I'm not going to keep my Bible hidden just because somebody made a comment when I pulled it out to read it really quick on my lunch break. I'm going to read it on my lunch break anyway. Um, I'm not going to uh, pray silently with my eyes open so that people can't tell that I'm having a conversation with God. I'm going to bow my head. I'm going to pray to the Lord. Regardless of what people think about me in this moment, I'm okay with it because I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. Right? Uh, I'm not ashamed to talk about what God has done, right? Sometimes God does a miracle in our lives, and then we find a way to tell the story in ways that, like, omit God from the story. And we lose sight of the fact that God did it. Right? Because we're embarrassed that by sharing that story, somebody else is going to hear it, and then all of a sudden now we're worried that they're going to, you know, look at us a particular way or whatever it may be. Don't be ashamed to live for Jesus to the fullest. Don't be ashamed about the word of God. Don't be ashamed about prayer. Don't be ashamed about talking about all that God has done in your life. Even though we might not have physical persecution, most of us here today, there is societal persecution against people of faith. And it's our responsibility to recognize that God wants us, like Paul, to be bold in those situations and not to shy back or be afraid about what somebody else might think or say. Right? We're called to be bold. Okay? We're called to live boldly. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed, right? Um, we're called to live boldly. And, and Paul, Paul, Paul essentially responded there and said, I know what's waiting for me in Jerusalem, and I'm not afraid. Why? Because God's with me, and he's called me to, to pursue this. Right? And I think we need more people who are willing to say, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Um, um, so then finally they get to Jerusalem, okay? And I want to end here. We might not cover the entire chapter, but I want to end on this because I think this is an important point um, that, that uh, Paul is dealing with here. So it says, when we arrived at Jerusalem in verse 17, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and the elders who were present. Um, Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. And then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the believers, the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality." The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. So some of you are like, man, that was a lot. What just happened right there? So all of a sudden, Paul comes back and he goes to meet with James, who's the brother of Jesus, and he's kind of the leader now of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And the elders are there, and they come and they confront Paul, and they tell him, Paul, we've heard these rumors about your ministry abroad. 
We've heard, uh, and, and remember, Paul was specifically called to be a, a minister to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish believers. Um, and all of a sudden, these rumors were spreading about Paul's ministry, right? They were saying uh, that Paul was uh, you know, telling Jews to turn away from Moses and no longer practice their Jewish customs and a number of these different things. And now, and, and then, and then James and the elders say, okay, let's prove them wrong. And this is how you can prove them wrong. Go shave your head, offer these sacrifices, bring some others with you and go through a purification, right? And pay for all of these to go through that ritual. And then others might believe that you're one of us and you're not somebody who should be feared. I read this section and I say, man, how small-minded these folks in Jerusalem were. They were um, threatened by the success of Paul's ministry with the Gentiles. They were nervous because they saw how much response uh, the the non-Jew, the the Gentiles uh, gave to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden now, they wanted to create extra barriers for those who weren't born Jewish to have access to Jesus. Uh, Much of this interaction that we see in Jerusalem 21, or in in Acts 21 in Jerusalem, is why Paul wrote what he did in uh, the book of Galatians. And I'm going to open that up really quickly because it highlights some of this challenge that Paul was was receiving. Let me just read Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Galatia. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, the Jews in Jerusalem didn't like that very much. They didn't like to be told that Gentiles are now part of Abraham's family because that's our family. That's our, this is ours, so we, we can't share that. We, we have access to Abraham and to Moses and to the Old Testament and to the Torah and to God's blessing. It's not for everybody to share. Stop, stop taking this message to everybody. This is our message. And they were angry at the fact that Paul recognized that when Jesus came, all of a sudden, all the blessings of Israel were now made available to anyone who had placed their faith in Jesus. But James and the elders didn't like that very much. Isn't it tough when God gave Paul, a, um, a calling on his life and a mission to pursue. And some of his greatest proponents were those inside the church. Isn't it tough when, when there's already outside threats and Roman soldiers and so many other entities to kind of work your way through to preach the gospel, and yet you're still getting arrows that are getting thrown at you from within the church? 
I mean, the, the ones that are supposed to be encouraging you and celebrating with you all that God is doing and, and, and excited about the, 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 the unique blendedness of Jews and Gentiles together in one community in common, worshiping the Lord and, and serving Jesus regardless of their ethnicity or country of origin or, or original language. And, and this beautiful moment of unity and this beautiful moment of the picture that Jesus uh, painted for the disciples to take the gospel to the entire world all of a sudden is being held back by those who have a small mind about what the kingdom of God is all about. It reminds me of those who, you know, sit here in church and have been here for years, decades, and all of a sudden some, uh, some person walks in and they smell like alcohol. Another person walks in, they smell like weed. Another person walks in, they only have half their clothes because they don't have a place to stay that night and they don't know where they're going to take their next shower. And, and rather than being excited about how diverse the body of Christ is and the opportunity for the gospel to reach everybody and anybody, you have people that start moving to the other section and they're wondering why it is that people like mission Ebenezer allow people like that into a church which is the house of God and all of a sudden they keep moving back row after row until finally they go to a church where there's nobody who smells like alcohol and nobody who smells like weed and nobody who walked in off the streets we are called to be a place where anybody and everybody should be given the opportunity to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ But James and the elders wanted the Gentiles to jump through 15 more hoops than the Jews had to jump through in order to meet Jesus. And I can see Jesus just saying, put the hoops down. Let them come to me. I love them just as much as I love anybody else. Right? Um, so two things. One, don't be a hater. <laughs> Number two, when people are trying to hold you back from pursuing the, the ministry that God has placed on your heart, right? Um, I want us to, to have the ability to tap into the Holy Spirit's work in us that's drawing us to pursue God's vision for this church and for this community. Okay, let's not be a legalistic church. Let's not be a judgmental church. Let's not be a church that uh, tries to act like we got it all together and we were never ever broke down or messed up. Let's be a church that recognizes with tears in our eyes and gratitude in our hearts that we were just as broke down and messed up as anybody else. Amen. And if God gave us a chance, then he'll give anybody else a chance. Amen. And so there should be no barriers to anyone coming to be able to hear about and experience the work that God wants to do in their life. Amen. Amen? See, the beautiful thing about it is God takes us just as we are. We don't have to do any kind of like, uh, you know, preparation, to be ready to come back and, and, and be in God's presence. Um, in fact, the only one who knows how to prepare us is God himself. So we bring our broke self, right? We bring our, our, our tired self. We bring our confused self. We bring our, our hypocrite self. You know, we, we bring our struggling self, our sinning self. And it's in that space, right? Again, we talked about, uh, I, don't, I can't remember if it was last Wednesday or last Sunday, but we talked about the image of, of the church as a place like that's kind of like a hospital. And, you know, if you're, if you're going to the hospital and you got something wrong with you, you don't tell yourself, all right, well, let me just try to get myself a little bit better so that the doctor knows how to heal me. Like the whole point of a doctor is they want to know everything that's wrong with you, right? 
They want to know, have you had any headaches, right? Have you experienced any nausea? Um, have you had any lightheadedness? Have you, you know, they, they want to get down into it because the more they know that's wrong with you, the better they can heal you, right? That's how our God is. We don't got to try to hide things. We don't got to try to put on a front. And similarly, we should never create an atmosphere where people feel like they have to do that in order to be accepted in the people of God. Amen? All right, we can keep going on and on and on, but it's already 8.03. Um, God is good, amen? So Paul's working his way back to Jerusalem, and in the midst of all of his trials, you would think that getting back to Jerusalem and meeting the believers there uh, would be a place of rest, a place of excitement, a place of celebration, and instead he gets there and he's met with uh, jealousy. He's met with somebody saying, you know, well, you're just not doing ministry the right way. That's why so many people are following you because you've messed with the gospel, right? And they're coming up with excuse after excuse not to celebrate the work that God was doing um, through Paul. Shouldn't we celebrate the work of what God does through those around us? Right? Uh, rather than comparing ourselves like, oh, I wish I had that or I wish I could do that or if I could only do that a little bit more like that other person, that would be awesome. Hey, if they're part of your family, if they're part of the body of Christ, whatever God's doing that's good around you, celebrate that. Amen. Right? And they'll do the same for you when you do something. And it's not a competition because we're a family. We get to encourage each other and partake and participate in the good things of the Lord in all of us that we bring together. Amen. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. And then we'll dive into chapter 22 um, next Wednesday. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thanks for the, again, the example and ministry of Paul. Um, thank you for his persistence, his courage, uh, for his heart for the lost and for the Gentiles, a people that many other believers wanted to forget and wanted to leave out. Um, but, but that wasn't the case with Paul. You gave him a big, huge heart for all those um, who didn't um, um, speak uh, Aramaic or Hebrew or understand the Torah. You want, he wanted to reach everybody and anybody, regardless of their skin color or language. Um, and so thanks for his heart and passion. Uh, would that same heart and passion be part of our ministry here at Mission Ebenezer Family Church? Help us not to be like uh, this uh, church that was imperfect in the book of Acts that was fighting against each other instead of celebrating the wonderful things that you were doing. Teach us to celebrate the gifts and the accomplishments and success of one another as the body of Christ and to encourage each other. Um, and, and Lord, again, uh, help us not to be those who are afraid of criticism or of persecution, um, but those who have courage in spite of threats and harm, recognizing that it's our call to simply be faithful uh, to whoever and wherever you call us uh, to be. So thanks again for this opportunity to grow as disciples tonight through your word. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you, church.